Amen. Please be seated. Please turn uh, in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2, or you can look on the insert. I'll be primarily in that passage today, starting at verse 8, down to verse 20 of Luke 2. We've already heard in the call to worship a portion of that. Then um, the Gillens read a portion of that for the Advent candle. And uh, no apology to read it again. Um, This is a passage that you are familiar with if you've been in church for very long. If you haven't been in church very long, you've heard Linus saying it since the 1960s. You know what I'm talking about in that Charlie Brown special when Linus recites these words. Um, I'm afraid sometimes when we hear them so often that we we read through them superficially and don't see the layers, um, the centuries of providential work of God to bring this moment to pass. If you're a student of the Bible, you know how the Bible really, um, among many themes, there's this theme of God's promise from Genesis 3 that lasts all the way. It really sets up the whole Bible. In Genesis 3, when God promises to send a seed from the woman to crush the head of the serpent, to undo the fall, to save us from our sins, the Bible then takes on really a story that tells how this occurs by way of these covenants that God makes and remakes uh, until Jesus comes. And it's an amazing thing that all the Bible builds up to this moment, and you have an instance, like we studied last week, where a birth in complete obscurity happens, where nobody can know or celebrate, at least humanly speaking. And so as we have been following thematically the Advent candle themes in the Bible, uh, we've come to the shepherds. Um, We've already seen the prophecies that built up, Bethlehem, the place of Advent's birth, and then the first human witnesses. It's always an amazing thing to see God's wisdom, how he decides to reveal this plan that we have seen built up for so long. Please follow as I read once again Luke chapter 2, starting at verse 8, and I challenge you to concentrate in a way that maybe you haven't before because it is a familiar passage. There are nuances and details that are important because they are here in God's word. Here as I read his inspired and inerrant word, starting at verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. 
in the shepherd's return, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. Let's bow as I lead us in prayer. Lord God, we, as we approach part of one of the most well-known stories of all time, we've already heard it, this is the third time now this morning. Please give us a fresh look at the event. Help us to appreciate all that you worked together to bring this good moment. Help us to imagine the scene and gather a sense of what the shepherds must have experienced. But more than imagining or feeling something like that, please teach us what may be learned about you and about us, about our need for Christ, the joy he brings, in the desire to tell others about him. Pray this in the name of Christ. Amen. Let me start by maybe telling a fictional story that helps you understand who shepherds were in the first century. I only say this because uh, shepherding is the oldest vocation on earth. And it has taken various forms over the years, some more noble than others. But they're In context, there is no question about what shepherds were thought of at the time of Christ's birth, especially in uh, these parts around Jerusalem where there were were dozens, if not hundreds, of different independent shepherds with flocks surrounding Jerusalem near towns like Bethlehem. So imagine there was a man named Aaron, a Jewish man, um, and he had a job with a farmer, and he was working to keep the fields, and in particular, figs and olives. But over time, he started taking some of the figs and olives for himself beyond what he was paid, and the farmer found out and fired him. Well, he tried to find another job. Not lots of jobs around there, especially for Jewish people. They'd have to stay in Palestine, so he goes to Jerusalem and finds a job working in the marketplace. Uh, But he has a hard time getting to work on time, and his boss starts to think maybe he's skimming some of the profits, so Aaron loses that job. In order to cover his stealing that he had begun to do to try to make up for what he wasn't able to buy, he started lying about it as well. There was even accusations about him becoming violent with some of the merchants or other people who threatened to turn him over to Roman authorities. Aaron at this point had no prospects of gainful employment because of his reputation. So he went to the place where most people like him ended up having to go. He went to one of the rich herdsmen who had thousands of heads of livestock, cattle or goats or sheep, and asked for a job to shepherd. And this was a tough job nobody really wanted. But he had no other choice because of his reputation, which was earned. Now, Samuel is the man who owns a thousand head of sheep. Samuel has two sons, so those two sons and he worked those flocks, and they're faithful. They care. These are, they own these sheep, but they can't keep all of them, so they have to hire some shepherds to keep their flocks. Aaron gets a job from Samuel, and he's given a responsibility of a hundred sheep. He's told to take the flocks away from where they were because the ground was already overgrazed in their proximity. So Aaron has to go find some land to graze these sheep. In three months, he needs to bring those sheep back. They have to be safe, hopefully uh, gained weight. Maybe they'll multiply. Some were pregnant. 
they had to be turned back to the owner at the end of this time. And it was up to him to keep the flock, tend the flock, care for the flock, protect the flock. And this is what he did. Now you know in the passage in John 10 where Jesus is described as a great shepherd. There's a difference between those who own the sheep and those who are hirelings. In the first century, the hireling shepherds were considered the lowest form of humanity. Only the lepers were considered greater outcasts. But people were needed for this job, and so the shepherds took this position. A commentator who is famous for his notes on the Gospel of Luke wrote this about shepherding. The dryness of the ground made it necessary for the flocks of sheep and cattle to move about during the rainless summer and to stay for months at a time in isolated areas, far from the owner's home. Hence, herding sheep was an independent and responsible job. Indeed, in view of the threat of wild beasts and robbers, it could even be dangerous. Sometimes the owner himself or his sons did the job, but usually it was done by hired shepherds, who only too often did not justify the confidence reposed in them. They were considered unsavory. It was the last option for a job for them, for good reason. They were dirty, they were independent, not trustworthy. Why would God pick the shepherds to be the first people to declare the fulfillment of his great centuries-old promise? I think there are multiple reasons, and we'll look at some of them. But at one level, before I get too judgmental about how unsavory the shepherds are, it makes me realize, by picking this lowest person in that society, God is giving us representation. And before you say, well, I'm not that unsavory, check it again. And recognize that I think it's fair to say, on one level, and there are multiple levels in which we interpret this passage, in some sense, the shepherds receiving this news at Christ's birth can be seen as representative of us all. Now, let's look at the passage more carefully, starting at verse 8 to verse 10, where the shepherds are the ones who are given this great herald, this great good news, which means gospel. We know they are a people in need of redemption. We know their character. We know what is said about shepherds. In verse 8, in the same region, this is referring back to the verses before talking about Bethlehem, In the same region, there were shepherds out in the field. That's where they stayed, day and night. Difficult, arduous job. Keeping watch over their flock by night. Had to constantly be watching. Could not leave them go. They weren't fenced in. They were always having to move around. Now, the text doesn't say uh, these shepherds were in need of redemption. And so, how are you reading this into the passage? Well, the shepherds as a vocation were seen in this way. And for multiple reasons. But I want you to think of a thematic reason first, and then let's think of the particular reason for these shepherds. When you think of the vocation or the job of shepherding, I think it's clear it's the oldest vocation. Before anything else, how is this so? When God created the heavens and the earth, he created man and woman. And he gave to man the job of tending the earth, creation. He was a shepherd of the earth. Uh, This is what Adam's first job was to do. He created all the animals, God did, and Adam names them, and God gives dominion to the man over the earth. In a sense, the first unfallen person in vocation is a shepherd. 
And it's the same person who's shepherding who falls into sin. The only shepherd who saw both sides of this glorious vocation, before the fall and after the fall. And so in a sense, shepherding becomes this picture of the degradation that happens to humanity in why we need redemption. Especially the first century picture of a shepherd as we see here. How different the shepherds were in Jesus' day compared to Adam before the fall as he was a shepherd of the earth. Why would God pick the shepherds first? Maybe part of it, maybe just part of it, is this wonderful, ironic twist that God does where the earth falls under an unfallen shepherd and then you see the good shepherd who is born to fulfill the promise announced to these shepherds who represent us all, people in need of redemption. And these shepherds, to say a few more things, in the first century, uh, specifically hireling shepherds, they had a terribly unsavory reputation. The same commentator I noted earlier said that most of the time they were dishonest and thieving. They led their herds onto other people's lands and pilfered the produce, produce of the land. So they grazed their animals, sneak into other people's area to graze, and get out faster than they could get run off. Because they were often months at a time without supervision, they were often accused of stealing things when things came up missing. People were warned not to buy wool or milk or uh, baby sheeps or goats from shepherds on the assumption that whatever you'd buy from a shepherd was probably stolen. Shepherds were not allowed to fulfill a judicial office or be admitted into court as a witness. And God doesn't speak to them first because he needs them as witnesses. Much more witness than just these shepherds. But yet, God picks the shepherds first. The outcasts that nobody else cares about or thinks of. The people that are, uh, that are looked down upon by everyone else. This gives us a, a strong sense of what God comes to speak the good news to. Who he comes to speak the good news to. People in need of redemption. I mean, the dregs. The people who have nothing to hang their head on. And that's who God says uh, the word of fulfillment, centuries old fulfillment to first, to the shepherds. Our need for redemption we can certainly identify with. Verse 9, and the angel of the Lord appeared to them. There's no mistake, the angels didn't speak in the heavens and it wasn't a mistake. The angel was speaking to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Very personal. Good news of great joy. In some sense, the shepherds at Christ's birth can be seen as representative of us all, and the need for redemption is first there on display just by who God chooses to reveal himself to. But Let's also consider something else in verse 10. We have here, before the shepherds, a display of God's gracious salvation for all who believe in Christ. I mean, there's both a a beautiful universal call about this salvation, and there's also a very special grace that's noted as well. Verse 10, the angel said, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news. Good news is that word uh, for gospel of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. 
the display of salvation is coming to the shepherds, who even if they are of Jewish descent, they are outcasts. They are people that could not keep ceremonial, ceremonially clean. And so this declaration that this gospel is good news for all the people, this is a clear message that it's not just for the Jewish people who keep ceremonial law. This is a message that is intended for all the people. Everybody should hear this message. It's for everyone to hear. It's not just for the Jewish nation. It's for the earth to hear. Just like Abraham's promise. When God promised to make him a great nation, it was for the purpose of bringing Messiah from that nation. The Messiah. Because the intention was to be a blessing to all the nations. Not just Abraham's ethnic children but to all the nations. And that's what is on display. When the angels speak first to the shepherds, he doesn't go to the priests in the Sanhedrin first, doesn't go to the religious, doesn't even go to the pious Jewish people who went to the temple regularly and truly trusted. He went to the shepherds first and made this bold and wonderful announcement displaying a salvation for all who believe in Christ who was born. Verse 11 For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, you can imagine why they were so fearful, and rightfully so. These angels speak this announcement. Uh, To make sure nobody would mess up this important announcement, God sends an angel. And the first and right thing an angel should say, if I could have a request, would be fear not, because you would be really scared. Angels are not like people in so many ways. Now, they could take human form for sure, but when you read them in Scripture, they're always in a powerful position of being a messenger and a mouthpiece and an exactor of something God wants done, and it's usually something big. I mean, really big. I mean, you have an angel holding back the door when all of Sodom and Gomorrah are trying to break down the door, and they can't. Um, You have angels speaking and having to, to put the people at ease because of how Horrific it would be to first see such a powerful, lit-up being that could hurt you immediately, and you'd know it. And here are these shepherds. They probably saw a lot of things out in the dark, a lot of crazy things. Nobody probably believed the stories they tell. But here they are, and it doesn't say, by the way, they were all standing together. It could very well be, most likely, they each, in the cover of night, had moved on to a particular grazing area, and they had their sheep, and there could have been ten different shepherds, three different shepherds, however many are in the little nativity sets, right? I mean, that's probably the number. And there they are, out covering the field, and they all see the same thing, maybe a distance from one another. I remember driving home one day uh, from being here late, and Chico was ahead of me in his car, and we're driving out, and a shooting star came down, and it looked like the thing landed in the field. And we got out and said, did you see that? Did you see that? Cool. Then we drove home. I mean, what else are you going to say, right? But we both wanted to make sure. Do we both see this? And the shepherds are there, and they could not mistake what they were seeing as the angel spoke to them and said, Fear not. I bring you good news. In the fulfillment of this, the shepherds wouldn't have fully understood. But in Isaiah, there's the promise of this herald of good news that's coming. 700 years before it happened. The Spirit of the Lord, it says in Isaiah 61, The Lord God is upon me, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound. This promise of the coming herald of good news 
starts with the prophets and looks ahead to this moment. And finally, the moment's here. And God speaks to the shepherds first. And the message he brings is one that shows a display for all those who will believe on Christ. By telling the shepherds, we know it could not just mean the religious elite or the righteous ones or the holy ones or the rich ones or the socially connected ones or the governmental ones. This is a message to people who represent the people. In some sense, all of us. And this message is for the whole world to hear. It's not just for Western people or people with a certain background. He's the savior of the whole globe. And this is the message that we are given and are called to proclaim the people. Now, I want to note something before we misunderstand. It's not saying that Christ came unequivocally and saved everybody. We know some people don't believe. Notice what verse 14 says. It gives us the correct balance. The angel's continued announcement says it very specifically. Glory to God in the highest. And on earth, peace. Among those with whom he is pleased. So on one hand, the universal call of the message of the gospel must go forward. On the other hand, recognize, God must place his special grace upon any of us for us to believe. If you believe, it's not because you were so smart in interpreting the message of the gospel. It's because he shed his grace upon you that you might believe and recognize. It it renders complete humility. So glory in God in the highest can only be had. The highest glory to him if all the credit is his. And that's what we see displayed even in this picture. Yes, a display of salvation for all those who believe in Christ. Those who will believe in Christ will have that peace among those with whom he is pleased. Verse 11 makes it very personal. For unto you in the city of David, and you'll notice the constant mention of David throughout the birth narratives of Jesus. And this is because there is the deliberate effort to tie Jesus to King David, showing Jesus to be the one who is the fulfillment of Christ. In fact, three titles we see for Jesus. Look at, them in verse, look at those titles in verse 11. The city of David, a Savior, number one, who is Christ, that's number two, and the Lord, number three. Three titles. The reason for the three titles is so, so that there is no mistake, this is Messiah. This is the seed of the woman who will crush the head of the serpent. This is the king who will take David's spot on the throne. Uh, This is the keeper of the new covenant forecasted. Savior, he is one who will save because we need salvation. Uh, The baby is termed as a savior from the Greek soter, from soteriology, the study of salvation. One who rescues, delivers, preserves. This is the savior. But to be clear, not just any Savior who might save us from something temporal, this is Christ. Christ is the uh, Greek word for Messiah, the anointed one, anointed to do what? To be the seed of the woman, to be the one who sits on the throne of David, Abraham's greater son. This is Christ, the anointed one. So he's the Savior who is Christ, Christ the Lord, because he is in this position, we recognize his rule and his authority. He's the owner. He's the master. What an announcement. What a display you have here. A display of salvation for all who believe in Christ. Display this message. What a wonderful time. Whatever you think of Christmas season and all the distractions that come into it in Western culture. 
It is a great opportunity for Christians. I love how Levi put it. He gives us a chance to pause and think about it. And whatever excuses may be, we have a chance at this moment with sensitivities abounding, even when all the people at work want to say it's a holiday party, you still have a chance to share something of Christ. Because even at those holiday parties, they have to have something there, you know, whether it be a song that's being sung, a Christmas tune. You have opportunity, like you don't have opportunity in many months of the year, to talk about what you believe, to share what you believe. And give a display, if you will, for all to hear and believe on Christ. The shepherds represent salvation for anyone who believes. Now let's consider what happens to them and how it relates to us in the last verses, 13 to 20. They go from being witnesses of this amazing event, this life-changing event, to mouthpieces for it. Now you all have certain events, no matter how old you are, there are some events or maybe one or two events that have happened in the last 10 to 15 to 20 years of your life that they just kind of You know the year, you know what life was like before it and life after it. I remember uh, for me in particular in 2006, um, it was was a crazy couple days. We had just taken a vote as a church to build all uh, these buildings, which was a huge deal for a church of our size at that time and and, and so forth. And I know personally as a pastor, I was was 10 years ago, so I, I was 35 and nervous about that. I mean, you know, I get nervous when I buy anything new, let alone what we were gonna do. And I was thinking about it, and Nathan and I went hunting the next day, which is always what you should do when you're nervous or stressed about anything. So we go hunting the next day. We're driving out to go turkey hunting. It was in the spring, going down 69 Highway, and it's probably 4 in the morning. It's dark, and a whole family full of, uh, a whole family of deer step out in front of the road. Now, normally, and this is what you should do. You should just keep driving. Uh, and, you know, knowing me, it's ironic that I tried to avoid them. And so I tried to avoid them, and we're going 70 and my truck flipped off the highway two and a half times up the embankment right past the 179th Street sign. We missed the sign and missed the rock wall that goes straight up sheer after. Hit the 50 yards in between where there was room to roll up instead of slamming in. And if Nathan wasn't five, six and a half, he'd be dead today because the roof caved in over where his head was and there was a little part where my head was and all the glass shattered and I, just, I can still remember like it was yesterday that sound. Okay, once we were upside down and kind of teetering over that, and we realized we were alive and not really hurt, um, I've just not looked at life the same way since. Uh, my calling, even in the ministry, uh, my sense of who my family is, uh, what God wants me to be, also God's sovereignty that it could be, He could take me in a second. Um, all these things, I mean, it's just, it's changed the way I look at things. In 2010, I had a really bad knee injury that kind of a really adjusted my activities and the things that I would like to do and what I could do anymore. And um, it was another one of those events, 2010, before and after. When my father passed away in 2011, same thing. Uh, Two or three dates. What dates are they for you? You have certain things that they hit and your life is defined by them. I remember when I lost this job and I had to do this. Or I remember when this happened with my child or this health issue occurred or you name it and you just, you are defined by it. Can we say for sure that the shepherds, after this night, a night that only, them, only they shared. They knew most people would not believe them. That had to change them. And that's what we see impacted here in the text. And though we didn't witness it personally, we read of this event and we believe it. And it should have some impact to make us change just from witnesses of what we believe is true to mouthpieces about it, to share it with people, to express it when we have opportunity. In verse 13 
Suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. Uh, They will never forget this announcement. One angel speaking, then a host of angels speaking. And glory to God in the highest. Whatever they are saying is of highest importance even to God. And so they are witnesses to this, and they hear this. And it will mean peace for man, which can only mean salvation in the face of God. So a, a baby born in total obscurity, in the most humble way, the response of the heavenly beings is glory to God in the highest. The shepherds will never forget this. When the angels went away, verse 15, uh, into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. We've got to go see this. I mean, it doesn't say what they did with the sheep. It just says they went. So they went to Bethlehem to see this thing. Let's find out. We gotta believe, we've got to confirm what we just saw. We know it's true, but we've got to go see it. And there's no way they're going to miss it. I mean, a baby in a manger in Bethlehem. They went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. It's true. Now imagine this. You're there, Mary, Joseph, and you have some other people who have come for, you know, who knows, uh, people from the inn or whatever. They see what's happened. A baby's born there and there's a commotion around it. And of all people, the shepherds show up. I mean, I've been in churches' services before in the city where some, a homeless person who was looking for food, looking for something, would just wander into the church. A bunch of nice-dressed people, and then this homeless person would come in, and everybody would be like, not knowing, what are they here for? What, are we? That's what it had to be like. The shepherds just, they're so excited to confirm something, and they know why they're coming, and they see it, and, they're, and then I love how it explains it. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. In other words, they, they calmed everybody down to tell them what, Listen, we're here because this is what happened. You're not going to believe this, but angels told us this. Now, most people wouldn't believe it except Mary. Mary's been seeing these kind of things. Same with Joseph. All who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. That's its own sermon. Not just these things that the shepherd had told, but the whole context Mary had taken into account all that had been told to her by God from the beginning of this, this whole saga in her life. And just the shepherds confirming this to be everything that God had said it would be. Mary treasured up all these things, pondering them in her heart. Now back to verse 20 for us. And the shepherds, as a result of all this now, the shepherds return, glorifying and praising God for all they heard and seen as it had been told them. Now, I don't want to make too big of a deal of this, and I want to do a sermon on this someday. But notice with the shepherds, after this incredible event, it doesn't say the shepherds went and signed up for the mission field. The shepherds dropped what their vocation was and went to do a real ministry. That is not what the Bible says about our vocations. The Bible says that you've been given gifts and you've been called to do things. Do what he's called you to do, and now that you know the truth, return to it and glorify and praise God there. That's what we're called to do. What a picture of vocation that we're given. They didn't run to the mission field, technically, but they did, really, by simply going back to what they're doing, but now with renewed vision and new eyes. And we can assume a new way of living. Because now they're glorifying and they're praising God. They're not the old shepherds they were. They can't be anymore. What they've seen is too big. And when they do it, they're not going to be afraid to let other people know about it. And that's what you see pictured 
And it's certainly a great picture for us. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all that they had heard and seen as it had been told to them. They're very careful uh, in their amazement and in their joy and in their worship to simply relay what had been told to them. What a great message for us, the church, today. What a great message. We, all we have to do, we don't have to do anything um, uh, amazing, anything uh, fantastical. You just simply need to give witness to what you have seen and heard. Starting with what's true in your own life and then sharing with what you've seen in others and just share this with others. And there are so many opportunities for this, and especially now when people are a bit peaked and they're willing to listen, they're, they're open to hear. I mean, I'll see people post pictures on Facebook of great hymns they love. There are people who are not believers. I know they're not. And they'll put, I love this song. I want to say, really? God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let, let me tell you what that means. You have opportunity, brothers and sisters. And here's another one. I mean, there's a couple times in this season that even our church has opportunity for, I know we don't view the worship service as an outreach service. It's for the people of God, the redeemed of God, to worship God. But Christmas Eve isn't built for that. I mean, there's worship involved, but there's a great opportunity to invite your friends. That's why we're having two services, by the way. We were overpacked last time. That feels fine as a church family. Don't mind it. How about let's have two services and we actually invite people? Uh, no, I mean seriously, like invite people. We can do that in Reformed churches. It's, it, it can be done. And there's an opportunity, Christmas Eve, where you know it's going to walk through the story, and I'll give a 10-minute, there's the thing I know most people come for, 10-minute sermon that's simply going to express the gospel. But even next Sunday night, we have Nathan George coming, doing a concert. There's another way to invite people or connect with people. But beyond all that, just your everyday dealings, like the shepherds. They're going, they were different from that time forward. So when they're moving around doing their shepherding, you're telling me they're not sharing this story? They're absolutely telling the story everywhere they can. A crazy thing's being told out there by the shepherds now. It's going to go out at all the shepherd stops. The shepherds represent the kind of transformation that happens when we meet Christ. We go from observing or witnessing something to being a mouthpiece about him. In some sense, I think it can be said that the shepherds at Christ's birth can be seen as representative of us all. In closing, there is a, there's a little-known prophecy. It's not expressed much because it is vague, but I think there's connection. I'll close with it. The prophet Jeremiah, who lived 100 years after the time of Isaiah, much had happened in Israel's time. They were basically in the last part of being uh, completely swept away by Babylon. And the weeping prophet writes this, and listen closely to what it says. He says, in the cities of the hill country, in the cities of Shephelah, and in the cities of the Negev, this is not too far at all from Jerusalem in the outskirts, in the land of Benjamin, the places about Jerusalem, he says, in the cities of Judah, flocks shall again pass under the hands of the one who counts them. Flocks, God's people, he's talking figuratively, will be shepherded. Behold, the days are coming, Jeremiah says, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill my, the promise that I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, and at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. Jeremiah 33. In some sense, the shepherds at Christ's birth can be seen as representative of us all. The shepherds represent God's intention to save people in need of redemption like us. The shepherds represent salvation for anyone who believes like us. 
the shepherds represent the kind of transformation that happens when we meet Christ. We go from observing and witnessing to something like a mouthpiece for God. May that be so for us. And that's what the shepherd's candle, the pink candle, is supposed to mean. The act of sharing Christ. What else can we do? Let's pray. Lord, we are so grateful for the salvation that is ours in Christ. By all means, uh, give us a great passion to let all know this good news, this great news. Pray at this time especially that we would be bold in our witness and our sharing of Jesus and what he has done for us. I pray for our opportunity, especially with family members. As opportunity arises, give us the words to speak with co-workers, with schoolmates, with old friends. I pray, Lord, that with opportunity that is unique at this time of the year, that you would give us, your people, a something of what the shepherds had. As they saw this thing that you have done, they went about what they had already been doing, glorifying and praising you for all that they had heard and seen, just as it had been told to them. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.